What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And in this episode, grab the nearest baton and prepare to try and survive a terrifying biological outbreak inside a maximum security prison facility in my review of the Callisto Protocol. Before we jump into the details of this game's story, let's take a few minutes to talk about some details that you may not have known about the game or its developer in The Breakdown. When it comes to the development of the Callisto Protocol, it was always very ambitious. Crafton, which is a Korean publisher and a billion-dollar company, they acquired and helped develop and fund Striking Distance, who is the developer of the Callisto Protocol. And Striking Distance is headed up by none other than Glenn Schofield, who is the director and co-creator of the original Dead Space and that series. Now, a lot of the development team from that original game came over with Glenn Schofield to create this new company of Striking Distance, and their goal was always to create the spiritual successor to their baby, Dead Space. They were unable due to the vice grip of control that EA or Electronic Arts had on that franchise, ending with Dead Space 3 for over a decade at this point. Obviously, you probably know that the Dead Space remake has come and now is released and very well received. But when it came to the Callisto Protocol, I don't think that Glenn Schofield knew or the team that there was a Dead Space remake in the works 
let alone that it was going to release a month within the release of their game. So when it came to Callisto Protocol, the budget absolutely ballooned over $162 million, and with it, therefore, massive expectations from publisher Krafton. Their expectations of sales being over 10 million sold. Unfortunately, it would seem that due to poor or average critical reception and poor pre-sales, it looks like that number will not be met. Unfortunately, leading to my assumption that we will not have a new franchise in survival horror. But at the end of the day, the question remains, why wasn't Glenn Schofield or other people of that development team on the original series ever made aware or contacted about that Dead Space remake? Very interesting stuff going on there. And it kind of leads me to ask the question. It's similar to which came first, the chicken or the egg? And in this instance, I (laughs) say which came first, the Dead Space remake or the Callisto Protocol? Now let's go check out this game's story. Callisto Protocol begins in the year 2320 and introduces us to player control protagonist Jacob Lee. And Jacob's just a cargo ship pilot who, at the start of the game, he's making a simple cargo drop with his co-pilot Max on their way to the colony of Europa, located on one of Jupiter's moons, the moon of Callisto. But unfortunately for them, things go immediately wrong upon their entry into the atmosphere, which ultimately leads to the ship crash landing into the snow-covered, blizzard-conditioned surface of Callisto. Now, unfortunately, Max is killed during this crash, and Jacob is knocked briefly unconscious, awakening to the sound of voices and the side of the ship being blowtorched open, allowing a massive security robot and head of Black Iron Prison Security, Captain Ferris, to introduce themselves before essentially capturing Jacob and bringing him back to Black Iron Prison. Black Iron is a maximum security prison facility located on Callisto, and it's owned and operated by the United Jupiter Company, or UJC, the same company that Jacob happens to be working for doing his cargo drops. Now, once inside the prison, Jacob's processed, which includes having this data implant hardwired into his neck, which smartly acts as your health gauge in the game, and then he's tossed into a cell. Not much time goes by, though, before there's this massive series of explosions, alarms going off, and the horrifying sounds of growls, screams, and yelling from the other inmates. Fires break out, and eventually, Jacob is able to leave his cell and is tasked with making his way to the control tower to meet fellow inmate Elias, who is looking to work together with Jacob to escape the prison. Now, along the way to the control tower, though, Jacob sees the reason for all the chaos going on. These disgusting, deformed, mutated creatures that were once inmates or prison staff are attacking and infecting anyone in sight. Jacob has no idea at this time what's going on, but he just tries to survive the brief journey to the control tower. From here, the story really expands as you explore the entire prison facility, as well as some of the nearby exterior environment of Callisto, discovering its secrets and finding out what was really happening there. Elias does help you along the way via radio communication with his knowledge of the prison layout, as he's been there for quite some time at this point, as well as knowing how to work the control systems and computer access around the facility. Now, this is really where you start to absorb the story. As you progress, you find and meet new other NPC characters like Danny Nakamura. And 
I really liked her as well as I did Elias and what she brought to the story. There was a certain personal emotional element that she brought with her. And that story is presented to you through multiple ways, whether it's text logs, audio logs, cutscenes, flashbacks, recorded video scenes from the content in the current room that you're in, writing on the walls and blood and other means. There's plenty of ways to absorb the story here, gamers, and it really had me asking the questions, what were the prison staff working on in the shadows? What kind of experimental testing were they doing on the inmates? Is it the work of some cult or is the UJC involved? So there was an interesting story here, although I will say I think that it has to be said that a lot of its aspects are cookie cutter and seem to come out of a generic plot jar. So as much as I liked what I was experiencing, I didn't feel it was an extremely original premise, but still enjoyed it nonetheless. I did feel it had a good conclusion, but it also left on a cliffhanger ending and it had me wanting more to see what happens, which is a good effect for any story to have. So hopefully we do get that sequel and we get to see where that story goes next. So overall, I definitely really enjoyed the story, the pacing of it, the characters, especially the character of Jacob. For whatever reason, he just really resonated with me. I dug Elias. He was a great friend throughout the course of our time through the facility and the other areas of the exterior of the moon. Danny grew on me, and there are different reasons for that, and you'll see as you play the game. And Captain Ferris, who was the head of security on the planet, I mean, honestly, he's kind of a generic, annoying douche of a, a head of the prison facility kind of a character. But at the same time, he's played by Sam Witwer, and I love Sam Witwer. He was Deacon St. John in Days Gone. He also played the uh, Star Killer in the Force Unleashed games. So many different things he's been in, and I always appreciate his performances. He's always very passionate, and that is no, no exception here. And the Callisto Protocol. Ultimately, there are a lot of questions raised. A lot of them are answered, but not nearly as many as I would have liked. So the game opens up so many different possibilities, and you can definitely tell that Striking Distance was trying their best to lay the groundworks for what could expand and be expanded upon as a franchise, whether it's through multiple game sequels or other tie-ins via other media like books and novels and comics and TV shows or movies, however the case it worked out, you could just definitely tell they were trying to build a universe here. But I will say the thing that really bothered me was even though it was kind of a cookie cutter plot, a lot of that cookie cutter shape is because they borrowed what I felt were a lot of tropes from the Dead Space series there there was the whole cult aspect that was kind of questionable there and just a lot of different characters that were very similar in the way they were presented in this game almost felt like striking distance was like you know what it worked for us we got lightning in a bottle with that first dead space game let's take the aspects of that game story and characters and plot and just kind of manipulate it and twist it a little bit to fit our mold here for the callisto protocol so i wish there was a little bit more originality is my point when it comes to the story. But overall, I did enjoy the characters, the performances of the actors of those characters. And in general, would be very much interested to see where the story went if there were ever any other future sequels. So now that we talked about the story, let's go check out my thoughts on the game's graphics and sound.
When we look at the graphics and sound for the Callisto protocol, I want to start with the graphics first. And let me just start out by saying the visuals in this game are absolutely insane. They are arguably the best visuals I have ever seen in any game that I've ever played. And gamers, that is quite a few games over many, many decades of play. And I just, I've been blown away every single time that I sat down to play this game. From the level of detail and the character models that look like you're playing and controlling the actual actors who portray these characters, to the environments and the details in the environments, the lighting, the reflections, the ray tracing that you can clearly see is on play here, the shading techniques, and oh my god, just the details, the little details when you're looking at desks and walls and different debris and items that may be placed on these different things and locations throughout the world. It was just absolutely insane. So you could definitely tell that no expense was spared when it came to making sure that the visuals in the Callisto protocol were bar none above and beyond any other game out there at this point in time. And when it comes to the perspective when I say the visuals are at this level. Let me just put in perspective for you. I am playing on an LG OLED C1 TV and a PS5. So therefore, the absolute optimization of the visuals is what I was going for when it comes to play. I always also go for fidelity mode over performance mode, as some of you may prefer the frame rate being above the visuals and the looks of the game. But I can deal with a little bit of slower frame rate that I probably won't even notice to enjoy and take in the amazing visuals that are on hand here. And I I just can't speak enough about how amazing I felt the visuals were in this game. Now, when we look at the sound of the game, I can't really complain about anything here either. I mean, the the level of quality in both of these categories were just top-notch. And sound, I'll start with the voice actors first. I mean, this is an absolute stellar performance by Josh Brumall who most of you may know from Transformers, the original movies. He was one of the main characters in those movies. And he's been in many other things. He's also been in many video games before this. Uh, Most notably, for me at least, was Call of Duty World War II. He played a character in that, thought he was excellent in that. But, I mean, he he definitely owns this role of Jacob Lee and is one of the reasons why I was so invested in the character and really, really dug what his experience was and kind of felt the different emotions that he went through throughout the course of his time on Callisto and throughout the exploration of Black Iron Prison. Now, when it came to the other characters of Danny, Nakamura, as well as Elias, I also thought those actors portrayed their characters extremely well. I mean, everybody seemed fully invested in the performance they gave, and overall, voice acting was excellent. Sam Witwer as well. I cannot obviously forget to mention him and his character. <clears throat> but when it comes to looking at the other details of the sound and audio, I mean, this is a horror game, right? It's a survival horror game, so in any form of horror... As far as a visual or interactive experience, the audio is absolutely key. Whether it's building tension with sound effects or music, and the Callisto Protocol is excellent in this regard as well. I mean, there are definitely many different grunts and groans and screams that you're going to hear from different enemies as you're going through the different environments. Whether you see or don't see those enemies at any given point is up for debate in a given moment. Now, when it comes to the orchestral score that plays throughout the course of your play, man, it is it is really good. I mean, it's definitely top-notch. It feels like you're watching a, a AAA-level, I would say, movie. 
uh, on the level of, say, Alien. I mean, it had those kind of spacey, but space horror kind of vibes to it. And I just thought that the orchestral score was really well done and fit the source material and in the moments, I mean, moment to moment, if it was trying to build tension or if it was just a quiet exploratory moment where there's not anything that's going to happen or going on. I mean, it was just overall very well done. And the basic sound effects, I mean, sound effects and, you know, for me, a lot of times, a, a lot of different actions that characters can do within games and things like that are important. And I felt that that was the case in this game as well. Each weapon sounded unique unto itself, as well as the grip glove when you were grabbing things telekinetically so to speak and moving and throwing them around there is just a lot of great things to enjoy about both the visuals and audio of this game and of the experience that i had but when it comes to the audio aspect of the game anytime i play on the ps5 i'm always alternating between a soundbar and using the 3d pulse headset and in this next segment i want to discuss is there a massive effect that the 3D Pulse headset is going to have on your playing experience, or does it matter? Is it going to have any effect at all? Let's find out. As stated, whenever I play on the PS5, I always alternate and try to do it in a fair 50-50 shot. But I always try to alternate between using my soundbar and my 3D Pulse headset because obviously the PS5 has been touted from the get-go all about that 3D audio. And it's honestly, in my opinion, best experienced with the 3D Pulse headset. But some games maximize it more than others. So in this case, with the Callisto Protocol being a survival horror game and having sound being such an important part of the experience, however you receive that sound... Does it make a difference with the 3D Pulse headset? Well, I'm here to tell you that in my opinion, I think that there's a lot of things that wearing the headset will affect your experience by. And what I mean is there are some really cool sounding robotic security guards that, I mean, just the unique sound that their voices give off. When they speak, they have a very unique sound to their voice. And I really liked it and enjoyed it. But it comes through so much crisper and clearer within your headset than you can hear it through a soundbar or a speaker on a TV. In addition to this, you also have the different comms communications that you get from whether it's Elias or Danny Nakamura, whoever it may be that you're getting comms communications from, you can actually hear them as if they're talking to you. It's just... It's hard to explain, but it comes through differently within your headset than it would, say, in the DualSense controller speaker or on a speaker in the TV. It just sounds so much more crisp and fresh and real with that 3D Pulse headset. And obviously, the really big thing about any horror experience is the ambiance and the environment and tension and building the scares. And does the 3D Pulse headset help to do that? absolutely 1000%. I would say that the experience is accentuated tenfold by using and wearing the 3D Pulse headset. Now, does it have to be the 3D Pulse headset? 
Probably not. You could probably wear any solid quality headset and get the same experience. But at the same time, this is Sony's created for specifically the PS5 and that 3D audio headset. So I would say if you want the absolute best experience, it's probably going to be through that 3D Pulse headset. Because I'm sorry, but hearing grunting and groaning and growling enemies around the corner, not knowing where they're coming from and not seeing them yet, but being able to hear them, hearing them in the walls and coming through the ventilation ducts, it's pretty terrifying. The explosions and different things around and music and everything else, everything just hits so much harder with that 3D Pulse headset. So the question I'm here to answer is, does wearing the 3D Pulse headset have a massive effect on your experience with the Callisto protocol or no effect at all? Gamers, I would say that it has a massive effect on your experience. Now let's go check out the controls of the Callisto protocol. Given the fact that I am playing the PS5 version of the Callisto Protocol, I will obviously be referencing controls that are formatted to the DualSense controller. So first we're going to start with character movement. And the game is played from a third-person perspective with dual analog control, with the left analog stick for character movement and the right for the camera. Now as far as basic exploration and walking around, interacting with item pickups and consoles in the environment, I didn't have any issues. It's as simple as pressing the X button to interact with those items and consoles. And if you feel the need to sprint to speed up that exploration, or if you're just trying to escape an encounter with one of those infected creatures, you hold down the L1 button, which I thought was actually a pretty interesting choice for sprint, as most games use the clicking in of the R3 button to initiate sprinting. But I really liked it here, and I felt it was really tight and gave this just a good sense of control and connection with the left analog stick, which controls all of Jacob's movements in sync with that sprint. Now, Jacob overall, he felt good. Kind of a, a heavy sense weight of weight to him with a tight sense of control over his directions and movements. And while speaking about direction, the D-pad, it is mostly used for quick swaps of weapons and to heal Jacob if your health gets too low. These did work well for me in intense combat scenarios as I was running low or out of ammo in a specific weapon and needed to switch quickly to a fully loaded one. The frustration that I had, though, with the D-pad options was with the requirement of holding down on the D-pad in order to heal. This could be extremely frustrating in those aforementioned intense combat scenarios because you'd essentially need to create some distance between you and the enemy or enemies in order to give yourself that extra second of time to heal that could be very frustrating because you needed that whole second of time for Jacob to complete the animation of injecting himself with the healing gel. And this animation can be interrupted, gamers. So if you're down to a point where it's one hit and you're dead and you run to a corner real quick to heal, but Jacob does not finish off that animation before an enemy hits you, guess what? It's game over which happened a few times for me and is just, again, frustrating. Now, I understand that I am, you know, striking distance probably would say it's to increase the fear or excitement factor in the moment, but all it does is really just take away from the fun factor. I personally feel that it should have been a tap of the down button and you're healed instead of requiring you to hold it down and watch the animation of him injecting himself but other than this gun combat i didn't really have any issues with just like every other game out there you aim with the l2 and fire with the r2 for normal fire and r1 for alternate fire the aiming i thought was great and the reticule it was never off target from where i felt that i was pointing it to or wanting it to point in that direction of 
There's no lock-on to speak of, but I actually preferred the freeform reticule. So overall, solid gunplay. When we look at the game's melee combat, however, it is a different story, which is sad because the game really builds itself up to be very much pushing the melee combat, especially once you get that baton, which you can then upgrade over the course of the rest of your playthrough. So you would think that the melee would be top-notch. That would be a main priority of striking distance. Well, it's obvious that it is not. Now, I did get better at this as my time with the game progressed, but I never truly felt like it just felt right. And there were some interesting design decisions when looking at dodging and blocking. So you do these by holding the left analog, and let me emphasize left here, to dodge, to the left or the right, depending on which direction that you want Jacob to dodge in, and you hold down on the left stick to block. Now, what I thought was awkward about this is the left analog stick is the same analog stick you use for basic character movement of Jacob, as I just said. But when it comes to melee combat, it's also the same stick that you use holding in left or right or down to dodge or block, respectively. And I just thought that made for an awkward scenario with every melee encounter. I thought it was almost counterintuitive. You're trying to move Jacob, but the game thinks that you're telling it to dodge or block, and it's like, no, I'm just trying to get out the way, or I'm just trying to turn so I can turn with the camera and get out of here. But it would not allow me to do that on certain occasions. And the thing is, I thought was very interesting as well is, you know, Gaming is uh, almost as a, a, as much about challenge as it is fun, right? We, we like to be challenged as gamers when we play games. And I thought it was a very interesting design choice for striking distance to not require accurate timing when it came to blocking or dodging. You literally, as soon as the enemy does a half-second step of the animation for attacking, you can just hold down the left or right analog, left analog stick in the left to right direction and you just dodge <laughs> you'll see jacob just holding himself to the left or right and automatically dodge the attack i just thought that was kind of odd because you would think that they'd want you to kind of be in control of that and, and have at least what i would feel like a sense of uh, accomplishment and challenge to the situation when you're dodging the timing correctly but that is not the case. So again, just some odd design choices that I felt like were there when it comes to melee combat. You can attack and parry by using the right trigger for a light attack and R1 for heavy, which, again, also threw me off. As most games, it is usually the other way around. And this goes back for, I mean, generations gamers. R1 for light attack, R2 for heavy attack. Uh, R1, it just, it is not the case here, which again, it was just kind of backwards to me. Now you can rearrange these as you would like or see fit as far as certain layouts for the buttons, but this is the default button layout. So that's what I typically try to review off of. Now, I just don't understand, you know, either way, this we'll move on. The swings are pretty slow and weighty, especially the heavy attacks, which, literally take a full second or so to pull off, which leaves you vulnerable to attack. So choose when you want to use those heavy attacks wisely. Admittedly, gamers, I hated the melee combat in the beginning of the game, but I did choose to give it some time for me to figure out the right timing of things and just the feel of how the actions react to the commands of the sticks. And overall, I just, when you put the whole thing together, I felt the controls were a mixed bag. Mostly everything was solid, except when it came to healing and taking the extra second 
and especially the melee combat that I felt needed a lot more time to be tightened up and kind of just reevaluated <laughs> some of the design choices. But what about the dual sense functionality? Was there a dual sense difference when playing this game? Could you get a different experience playing this on a PS5 as opposed to an Xbox? Let's find out. <laughs> Gamers, whenever I play a PS5 version of a game and I do a review, I love doing this segment, the dual sense difference. I like to talk about, is there a difference that you get with your experience playing the game by use, utilizing and enjoying and experiencing those aspects of the DualSense controller that set it apart from any other controller on the market. So when it comes to the Callisto Protocol, right from the main menu, there was a noticeable effect for me when pressing options and selecting a new game, load game, etc. Because there was just these really subtle and nice vibrations at play with every menu selection movement. So as I moved up and down, new game, load game, whatever the case may be, there was just these nice subtle vibrations. And immediately I was like, oh man, the first time I booted the game up, I'm like, oh, this is going to be some good stuff. Because already, if on the main menu of the game, they got some dual sense feedback going on here, we are going to have some fun. Now, once in the game, that haptic feedback definitely is felt when you use that baton in melee combat, as well as a very slight difference in the way that each gun feels when either arming it and readying it for fire or when shooting the guns. And as far as the baton, I mean, just, man, whether it's a light attack or a heavy attack, they definitely feel different, and it is a noticeable effect on that haptic feedback. Now, I've played numerous games with the adaptive triggers that react differently to different weapons at this point, and honestly, I, I felt like this game was more on the average side of things when compared to others. There wasn't a whole lot making them stand out. But there was a nice touch of those subtle vibrations from the main menu when you walk through the blizzard and snow on the surface of Callisto. And certain moments like audio logs and communications between Elias and Danny, they would come through the speaker and just be real crisp and really cool. But when asking if playing the game on PS5 with a dual sense would greatly change the experience that you get playing the PS4 or Xbox version, my answer would have to be no. Gamers, I really don't think there's a big enough difference here to where I would say you'd be missing out if not experiencing the game with the dual sense. Now, let's talk about the variety of gameplay you can expect during your stay at Black Iron Prison. When looking at what kind of gameplay you could expect when experiencing the Callisto Protocol, as already stated, this is a third-person survival horror action game, and as such, you can expect certain basic staples of the survival horror genre to show up in your playthrough. Creepy monsters, jump scares, limited resources, and tight inventory management, with a few minor puzzles thrown in here or there, all while using firearms or melee weapons or telekinetic means to fend off the aforementioned monsters. Now, first, we'll talk about basic exploration around Callisto. You're going to have two main environments that you'll explore across the game's eight chapters. The main location is, of course, the Black Iron Prison Facility, and the other being that snowy, frozen exterior of Callisto itself. Now, the game overall, it's very linear. So as you explore the prison, it is very easy to identify where you've been 
and where is accessible, if not by your spatial awareness in-game, then also by utilization of the in-game map, which I felt did a very good job of identifying which direction your main objective should be taking you, locked doors, multiple floors, so on and so forth. Some interior areas do not open up for certain sequences, be it a boss fight or major story moment, but for the most part, you'll be exploring those narrow hallways of not just the prison cell blocks, but all kinds of different locations that are part of Black Iron Prison. Control towers, medical wings, offices, laboratories, sewage waste disposal, and many others. My favorite area of exploration came from <laughs> the surface of Callisto and this old abandoned colony that you come across. I felt these were the most fun to go through and experience the story that was being told through those environments. Just had a lot of fun during my play in those areas. But no matter which environment that you're in, you'll be searching lockers and drawers for weapons, ammo, puzzle items, as well as about a million fuses. And, re and the reason why I say that, there's this one reoccurring gameplay theme that you can expect throughout your play, and that is locked doors or passageways that require a fuse in order to gain access through them. Now, these fuses, usually they're nearby and are guarded by some enemy encounter. Not too terrible, but by the end of the game, I felt like they had worn out their welcome. I just felt there was too many times where I had to try and track down a fuse. Now, there's also a sneaking option in the game for some stealth combat, and this allows Jacob to crouch and sneak up on unsuspecting enemies and stealth kill them with, of course, in a prison. He has a shiv. <laughs> now, this can be very helpful in certain moments, especially when you're going through the areas that are infested with the blind monster enemy type. Very intense moments, I will say that as well. Speaking of enemies, though, that will segue nicely into the game's combat. The combat's frustrating. <laughs> I will say that. We talked about the controls earlier and why I have my frustrations with melee combat. But the other option that I didn't like that was lacking here was there's no true lock-on. And in addition to that, you still take damage whenever you do block. Now, you heal that damage with health injectors. You could find health gel that's loose and use that as a pickup and heal instantly. Or health injectors that will heal you for a bigger portion of health but you have to sit there and watch that animation I was talking about earlier. Now, one big thing when we talk about enemies that I have to talk about is the evolving enemies and the aspects of what that means. Because it was a big thing that Striking Distance was touting going into the release of the game is that, oh, the enemies evolve in real time. So what exactly does that mean? Well, later on in the game, I'd say the back half of the game, every enemy encounter just about ends up with you shoot or strike via melee a an enemy, any enemy, once or twice, and then all of a sudden there's these tendrils that start splurting out of their chest and, and stomach area. And as that happens, they literally evolve into these just a bit bigger, bulkier, stronger, faster versions of themselves. And don't get me wrong, it can be very intense when it is happening because you only have just a few, I mean, literally a few split seconds to try to shoot the tendrils as they're coming out and therefore stop the evolution or mutation and kill the enemy. If you do not, if you are just a second shy or half a second shy, they will fully evolve and they are coming right at you. And usually it's one, maybe two hits and you're dead, no matter where your health is at. So just want to make sure you are very locked in on the back half of the game because interestingly enough, the enemies did not evolve at all in the first half of the game. So I thought that was interesting as well. 
to be something that the development team was very much pushing and, and highlighting, but it's only in the back half of the game. Regardless, when we look at melee and gun combat in the game, there is a decent amount of weapon variety. You have the stun baton that we've talked about, and then other handguns like the hand cannon and uh, shotgun-esque gun like the skunk gun. And, of course, you have an assault rifle and a riot gun and just different variations on all those types of archetypes, handgun, shotgun, assault rifle. Now, I will say in conjunction with this basic weapon variety, the one thing that actually adds to the fun here, in my opinion, was the grip or the GRP, which is a glove that Jacob eventually comes into possession of that allows him to telekinetically move objects as well as enemies. And the big deal with that is there are a ton of options for environmental kills. You have giant spinning fan blades, walls that are covered in spikes, all kinds of different options to use in order to take out the enemies in front of you via the telekinetic grip. And those were a lot of fun. I did have a lot of fun. I even made a clip uh, in my early stages of play using the grip to take out a whole room of enemies with a meat grinder. So... There are some fun moments to be had with these environmental kills and the grip. Now, there are a few boss fights in the game. I'll be honest, there was nothing memorable or special about them. They were just kind of your basic run-of-the-mill, hey, these enemies are, they take more bullets to take down than your regular enemies that you come into contact with throughout the course of, of the game. And I didn't really feel like there was anything memorable about them. Uh, you think about Resident Evil and the Tyrant or the Nemesis. You think about Silent Hill and Pyramid Head. There is nothing on that level, in my opinion, in the Callisto Protocol, unfortunately. Now, moving on from combat in the game, there is Reforge stations, which those stations are what basically act as shops within the game. And this is also where you can upgrade and print new weapons and ammo and things of that nature. And you use that reforge station and are able to upgrade with Callisto credits, which is the currency in the game. And you find credits all throughout the course of your exploration. And I thought it was, honestly, it was decent. It was a very mirror image of Dead Space, which is one thing that I thought was like, wow, they literally, here's yet another thing they took and just extremely, completely mimicked what was in Dead Space. But you can sell items, certain items that are worth a lot of money for credits. You can also sell any of your items that are in your inventory, weapons, ammo, whatever the case may be, if you need currency or credits in the time to possibly upgrade a, another weapon that you'd prefer to focus on or anything like that. You do have that option. One thing that I did not like, though, that they did not have in the game was a storage box option. Now, obviously, Resident Evil has storage boxes spread throughout its game world, Dead Space, I mentioned Dead Space, it has a storage box option there within the shop. Callisto Protocol does not have that option, so you have to be very much mindful of what you want in your inventory slots as you progress throughout the game. Now, the slots do expand as you get to about the halfway point in the game. It'll automatically increase the inventory size for you, but there would still it would still have been nice to have that storage box option. The last piece of gameplay that I have to mention here was probably my least favorite of the gameplay. I mean, it was it was there vying for the worst, uh, the least favorite with the melee combat. But it's the checkpoint system. And if you've read previews or reviews or any other thing about the game leading up to its release or since, at some point, I'm sure you've probably run into the issue of the checkpoint system in the game. And it was very inconsistent. And this is my explanation. 
And what I mean is you would basically either go into a brand new area and it would be way too long before the next checkpoint would happen. Or you'd have a situation where you'd finally get to a checkpoint. You might progress. I'm serious. No exaggeration here. Sometimes it was two to five minutes down the hall and there'd be another checkpoint and then there wouldn't be a checkpoint for another 20 minutes. At least the way that I play, maybe it would be less time for those that are going through the game a little less exploratory. But for me, it was very inconsistent with the checkpoint system and very unforgiving. And I feel that there's a lot of moments where there should have been checkpoints where there weren't. It was just a mess. So that is one thing that I feel like striking distance really dropped the ball on as well is getting a consistent, good checkpoint system. And just a quality of life, a couple of issues here or there is really what kind of held this game back from being on the next level when it comes to its gameplay. But when we talk about Callisto Protocol or any game, I love taking pictures and photo modes. So if a game has a photo mode, I absolutely love dissecting it in my reviews of that game and telling you guys what I thought of it and giving different review scores for that photo mode, ultimately deciding whether or not they should have even had a photo mode in the game, or is it a work of art? Is it one of the best photo modes that I've experienced? Well, when it comes to the Callisto Protocol, let's find out what my thoughts were. When it comes to reviewing a game's photo mode, there are three different review scores, if you will, that I will give that mode. The best that I give is a work of art. The absolute best type of photo mode. It has everything I'm looking for in it, and it's just top-notch. Next is collector's piece, which is basically just kind of, you know, it was a solid average photo mode or blank canvas, meaning, you know what? The developers shouldn't have even bothered putting this photo mode in this game. They should have released it as a post-launch patch or something of that nature. So there are specific things that I look for and that I like in photo modes that I use to describe and gauge my review score here. So when it comes to the Callisto protocol, the first thing we're going to look at is accessibility. How easy is it and how quick is it to get in and out of photo mode? Well, for me, my preference is always a one-step process, meaning I always liken it to the Assassin's Creed franchise. I think they do it best. You just click in the analog sticks and boom, you're in photo mode. Well, most games still to this day require you to pause the game and then select photo mode, whether it's a button prompt that pops up on screen or you have to scroll down in the menu options when you pause it. And that was what I consider a two-step process. And that is exactly what the Callisto protocol is, a two-step process. You pause the game, you scroll down, you select photo mode. Now, not too terrible. Again, not going to make or break a review score for me, just really a preference. The next thing I look at is camera control. How much finesse do I have and how deep of a control do I have over that camera? So I never really had any issues with the camera. I got the zoom and the angles that I wanted and there were no invisible barriers. Sometimes in a photo mode, you go to a certain height or depth and there's nothing there, but the game won't let you go any further or higher. So I loved the elevation options and as I stated, the zoom options as well. Next, I look at lighting, filters, and details. So honestly, Callisto Protocol had the basics that I 
feel like every game's photo mode has for lighting, like intensity levels. Filter options are like the black and white, noir, and other options that pretty much, again, every photo mode has. So really, there was nothing unique here, as well as no directionality control of the lighting, which would have been great in a game like this that is so reliant on shading and shadows and lighting, building tension, creating really cool-looking scenes in the environment. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, when I control the directionality of the lighting, look no further than Miles Morales' Spider-Man's photo mode. And there are a few other games out there, very few, that actually allow you to control where the light shines within the frame of your picture in photo mode. It's really, really cool if you're into that. Next up, I look at emotes, expressions, and characters as far as poses and different things that you might be able to do with that character on screen. Unfortunately, extremely disappointed here as there are none of these options at all. No emotions, no expressions, no character poses, absolutely nothing. Also, I would love if more games did the whole, hey, look at the camera option. Again, obviously it's not in this game, but that is something else I look for as well. Frames, themes, and the logo. Now, there's no frames or themes really to speak of outside of that you know, typical aspect ratio options, 16 by 9, so on and so forth, widescreen, those kinds of things. But when I talk about frames, a lot of games like Days Gone, again, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, you know, you do comic book covers or... Uh, in Days Gone, it was just you're like you're looking through a broken window and, and that kind of thing. There's nothing like that in here. Themes, again, there's really, man, there's not a whole lot going on here as far as what you can really add to the picture that you're taking outside of those black bars and the aspect ratios. Now, I will say there is a logo, multiple logos actually, that you can use in the photo mode, three of which that are designated as UJC for the United Jupiter Company, Striking Distance, the developer of the game, obviously, and the Callisto Protocol name itself. Now, I only ever use the Callisto Protocol logo if I used a logo in the picture that I took, but the one thing that I love to have as an option when it comes to logos is the ability to either change the color option of the logo or the size, enlarge or shrink, or also change the angle if I want to kind of have a, a cockeyed angle going on with the logo itself. Or if I want to have it spread across the top left corner of the picture, I can do that. This game had none of those options, just the logo itself. So overall, I am glad that Striking Distance included the photo mode as I was able to get the right angles that I wanted for certain shots and play a little bit with the lighting. But overall, the lack of really any exciting features really makes me wish they had either put in a little extra time and added the features that I talked about and ultimately released the mode as a patch post-launch or just not included the mode at all, which leads me to my rating of a blank canvas. Now let's go check out the ship's chronometer to find out how long it took me to beat the game, as well as how long it may take you to beat the game based on your play style. When it comes to the length of the Callisto Protocol and what you might be able to expect when sitting down to play the game... So for me, I'll start there first. I spent a total of 21 hours playing this game from start to finish, all eight chapters. 
And look, I'm admittedly a very, sometimes, most of the time, overly thorough explorer when it comes to the environments and just kind of really taking things in. That's also real time. So it's time that I also spend playing around in photo mode and, you know, just different things like that. So the bottom line, a raw 21 hours is what I put into this game for the credits to roll. Now, if you are looking at just playing through the game's story, and that's really your main focus, and you're going to go from main quest objective to main quest objective, you probably beat this game in roughly 8 to 10 hours. Because again, there's only 8 chapters, and main story quest to main story quest roughly an hour or so a chapter, maybe a bit bit more. If you're looking to do some exploration and maybe check out a few things on the side here or there as you go through, I would say you're probably looking at 10 to 12 hours. But if you are a completionist and you're looking to get the Platinum Trophy or all 1,000 G on the Xbox, you are going to have to play through it at least twice because there is a a difficulty achievement or trophy, which I hate when games do this, for you to beat the game on the maximum security level difficulty. Now, if you're brave and things like that don't bother you the first time through or don't hamper your enjoyment of the game, then by all means, go for it. You can play it on maximum security level difficulty from the outset, and maybe you go ahead and get that platinum trophy. But I will say that since post-launch, there is a New Game Plus mode that was released, as well as a new trophy for completing the game on New Game Plus. So that just adds to it. And again, therefore, the two playthroughs. And with that being the case, I would say your first playthrough is going to be longer inevitably, but your second playthrough, you can probably get through it pretty quick if you're just going from A to B just to get that trophy and complete the game. So you're probably looking at a total of 25 hours in order to get that platinum trophy and the DLC trophy for completing it on New Game Plus. Now, let's go see what my final thoughts and review score are. As excited as I was leading up to the release of the Callisto Protocol, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me that was disappointed with certain aspects of my experience. Whether it was the awkward melee controls and healing animation requirement, the fact that you take damage when blocking, the horrible and inconsistent checkpoint system, or a lot of the ideas used for the game feeling like retreads of old experiences, there was definitely some opportunities for striking distance to work out. But I enjoyed the story for what it was, appreciated the character of Jacob Lee and Josh Bramall's performance of him, and enough can't be said about the visuals in this game. Again, arguably the best-looking game I have ever seen. And overall, I did enjoy my time with the game. I was just hoping for a little bit more of polish and uniqueness from the experience, which is why I'm giving Callisto Protocol a final score of a 7.75 out of 10. That'll do it for my review of the Callisto Protocol. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks, or find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.